In Southeast Agnet Sag and Review for the week ending May 29th, the Environmental Protection Agency and Army Corps of Engineers released its finalized waters of the United States proposal this week, which concerns many in agriculture. But here's what Ken Kaposius, Deputy Assistant Administrator for EPA's Office of Water, had to say about it. Rather than creating any new permitting requirements, particularly for farmers, the Clean Water Rule will provide greater clarity and certainty and does not add any economic burdens. As a matter of fact, Kaposha said if you can plow, plant, and harvest today without a Clean Water Act permit, this rule will ensure you can do that when the rule goes final. We think that there are more types of water features that are commonly found on farms that we can clearly say are not covered by the Clean Water Act. These are going to be things such as stock ponds and irrigation ponds, irrigation ditches on dry land. Those types of things have not been in the Clean Water Act before, but we've never clearly said that they were not covered by the Clean Water Act. So we're using this as an opportunity to clarify and provide that predictability to the agricultural economy that they do not have to have concerns related to the Clean Water Act. EPA says the new clean water rule is designed to protect water sources without getting in the way of farming, ranching, and forestry. But, of course, many ag groups have been busy reviewing EPA's waters of the U.S. rule. EPA argues the new rule keeps Clean Water Act exemptions for agriculture and adds 56 conservation practices that will be exempt from dredge or fill permit requirements. But American Farm Bureau Federation's Don Perry says that's not enough. There's other sections of the Clean Water Act that have different meanings and different liabilities for farmers and ranchers, significant liabilities, criminal and civil penalties that aren't covered by those exemptions. Paris says the Supreme Court ruled that isolated interstate waters are not waters of the U.S. and so not navigable, but EPA is trying to sweep those back under federal control. It really does substantively change the way states operate their Clean Water Act programs, their regulatory programs, their land use and zoning programs, as well as the way farmers farm. And Colin Woodall, Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, says one of the biggest concerns they've had with the entire process is EPA never came to all of the stakeholders and engaged them. They never had the conversations with us about true water quality issues. And I think if they start over with a mandate from Congress to engage all of us, then we can have a true discussion of water quality issues, make sure that we are addressing those without putting undue restrictions on landowners. And while several groups have responded on the final rule, so have lawmakers. House Ag Committee Chairman Mike Conaway and House Ag Conservation and Forestry Subcommittee Chairman Glenn Thompson said America's farmers and ranchers deserve a government that will review and address their concerns. Conaway and Thompson said the process for this rule ignored them and Congress must enact the Regulatory Integrity Protection Act of 2015 that would force the EPA and Corps to pull this regulation and work with states and local stakeholders to develop a new, proper set of recommendations. House Ag Committee Ranking Member Colin Peterson said the ag community expressed concern with the negative impacts of the rule, but EPA wasn't willing to listen or did not understand. And he is committed to working with his colleagues to explore options to ensure these regulations never go into effect. But the new rule will take effect 60 days after publication, which occurred Wednesday morning, May 27th at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Well, Tyron Spearman has an important reminder about a crop insurance deadline that's coming up this next week. The final planting date is the last date a peanut producer may plant and acreage be eligible for full crop insurance coverage this year. The uh, farmer is not required to plant after that date, but may do so at a reduced coverage of 1% per day through the late planting period. In Georgia, Florida, and Alabama, that deadline is June the 5th. The late planting period will continue until June the 15th. That means another 15 days or 10 days for, for counties uh, until June the 15th to plant peanuts. 
During that late planting period, coverage is reduced 1% per day. Farmers can still plant after June the 15th, but the guarantee after June the 15th drops to 50% on cotton and on peanuts. If the farmer is unable to plant by the final date caused by weather or some other reason, the farmer must file a prevented planting and must do so within 72 hours after that June 15th final date. On reporting, a peanut producer this year must report his acreage by the state uh, deadline of July 15th and provide a copy of the shutter contract to the federal crop insurance in case you have to collect. This year's established price for crop insurance is 21.23 cents per pound or $424.60 per ton. Contracts can be insured up to 120% of the contract value with a maximum outlay of $500 per ton. There is a cap coverage, catastrophic coverage. Uh, it's 11.68 cents per pound or $233.60 per ton. If a farmer has revenue protection on his program, there's no contract price involved. But that planning deadline is coming up for Georgia, Florida, Alabama, and most of South Carolina June the 5th to try to get all your peanuts in to be fully qualified for all crop insurance this season. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast AgNet. Kathy Isom tells us about the new lettuce varieties with increased disease resistance. If you love your salad, then researchers in California and Maryland have news for you related to lettuce. We released 16 lines, and it's a mix of different market types. Meaning new types of iceberg, romaine, and leaf lettuce for breeding for growers and seed companies, according to Ryan Hayes of the Agriculture Research Service in California. Of those three types, there's a number of diseases that we're focused on in order to improve the resistance. Hayes adds, these are not available in the supermarket just yet, and explains some varieties may not be yet ready for growers. However, we're able to release lines which could be immediately usable by growers just with seed production being done by private seed companies. We can also release things that maybe don't have the horticultural quality to be immediately useful for growers, but private seed companies will pick up these lines and use them as parents to develop additional cultivars which have these new disease-resistance traits. I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast Agnet. And to wrap up this week's podcast, Everett Greiner talks about beef. Okay, which is healthier, grass-fed or grain-fed beef? Actually, there's no scientific answer and probably won't ever be. At one time, ranchers didn't produce beef without grain. Well, several factors changed that. Today, grass-fed beef holds the spotlight. Is it price? It's cheaper to raise grass-fed beef. Is it the taste? Some people can't tell the difference. Oh, I know, it's healthier. Well, science hasn't proved that to be a fact. Now, all these factors could have solid footing, but one fact is constant. Americans will never give up their favorite source of protein. No matter how it's raised, beef is safe, wholesome, and nutritious. Where it comes from makes no difference. To really make a difference, retail stores should specify grass-fed or (laughs) grain-fed. That would draw a heap of shopper attention. And that's Ag Review for today. Evergriner Southeast Agnet. Those reports and more can be found on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.